As we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Ogapoge Nation and the Tewa-speaking peoples of northern New Mexico from where this broadcast is coming from. I deeply value, honor, and acknowledge the elders, past, present, and emerging. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mongata podcast hosted by me, Valerie Boudere. I'm a certified sound therapist as well as a healing coach and life design mentor. I work with clients every single day to help them uncover the answers to the big questions. How do I heal? How do I feel better about my life? Who am I? What's my purpose? And what do I do next? I also help them transition from all the shoulds in life and make living vibrantly a priority by living their life design and who they really are. It's time to be more you. So sit back, relax, and grab your journal because you're going to want to take notes. Let's get to it. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Mongata podcast. I'm Valerie Boudere, and we are in week five of the Emotional Fast. This week, we are going to look at fasting from our need to constantly plan and organize everything and embrace unfolding. So the way the emotional fast series is working is that on Thursdays, we have the discussion of our topic and we really dive in, look at what we're um, looking at to transform and have some tools to give you for that transformation. And then on Sunday, we have a meditation that matches this week's podcasting class. So let's get started by opening our sacred circle together. And in our opening today, I would like to do a mindfulness technique. It's not so much a meditation as a technique to bring us into the present moment. It's called feet on the floor. And so I invite you now, uh, wherever you're listening from, except in a car or if you're operating machinery, really, this is your time to explore this podcast. So if you can get in a chair, placing your feet firmly on the floor, um, and you can actually do this standing as well, just anywhere where you can get your feet on the floor. And as you are focusing on your feet on the floor, I invite you to focus on how the feeling of your feet touching down actually feels. So inviting you to feel your entire foot as much as you can, your heel, your soul, the ball of your foot, and your toes. And as you're still focusing on your feet, taking a few deep breaths, so inhaling deeply through the nose and exhaling out through the mouth, focusing on your feet, taking another nice inhale through the nose and exhaling out through the mouth. And one last inhale through the nose. 
and exhaling out through the mouth. And as you feel your feet on the floor, you become very present to this moment and it helps us get out of our head. It also helps us to calm down, especially when you might feel overwhelmed or that your thoughts are racing and you feel like you might be spiraling. The, the one thing I really like about this technique, feet on the floor, is you can do it anywhere. You can do it barefoot, with socks on your feet, in shoes, and wherever you're at, sitting at your desk, in the kitchen, in the grocery store, really wherever you're at, that you can put your feet on the floor or on the ground, um, you can do this technique. And it brings us into this present, present moment quicker than you can know. So opening today with a quote from author Jody P. Colt, who says, anxiety is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you very far. So today we are going to explore our need to plan every single moment. I'm a planner. I don't know about you. Are you a planner too? But it's this constant need to have things scheduled. For example, I'm a massive planner when it comes to travel. So I might have travel plans two years in advance and absolutely looking forward to what's happening two years from now. And I'll have several trips planned within that two-year period, whether that's off to go visit the kids or taking big trips like to Sweden or Scotland or Egypt. So I'm a planner, a meticulous planner when it comes to travel. Uh, when the kids were still at home, I was a constant planner for their lives. So you know, when are the kids going to school? What are they eating for lunch? What homework needs to be get done? What's their extracurricular activities? And then as I'm turning down for the night and calming down, I had this never unending to-do list that I would start thinking for the next day. So there's nothing wrong with this type of planning. Is when this type of planning can be a bit dysfunctional and detrimental is when our mind goes into hyperdrive, when we are thinking about every moment, that it has to be perfect and that we don't want to let anybody down and our mind ruminates, it can keep us up at night. Um, and it seems like the to-do list never ends, but we have this kind of drive inside of us to get the to-do list done so we can rest. And this is such a normal thing in our society that we don't even red flag it. But is what this is actually called is high functioning anxiety. It is not a diagnosed anxiety syndrome. Uh, so high functioning anxiety it's not a type of anxiety, but rather it's a term that refers to anxiety where each one of us is still highly functioning, but the anxiety lives just below the surface. surface. So think of high functioning anxiety as hidden anxiety. 
Uh, so the people outside of you have no idea that you're anxious. So individuals, people, and I, I suffer from high functioning anxiety. So I can tell you we're viewed as very successful people. We tend to be high achievers. Uh, we don't want to look like slackers or missing details. Like every detail is taken care of. Um, we have accomplishments in our list. And so there's nothing from the outside that would let anybody know that we're suffering from anxiety. So it has more to do with our personal and professional life. And we always look rather put together and competent and we even appear calm. And so kind of going with last week's lesson and podcast about holding it all together, this is the next step in looking at that deeper. So when we have high functioning anxiety, we spend a lot of our time overthinking and ruminating and we're afraid of failure and we worry about what other people think of us. So I gave you some examples from my personal life of what that looks like in terms of family and travel, but some other ways that this can show up is for example, if you are an entrepreneur, especially an online entrepreneur, you're not ready to release that new online course or book or product or do, um, web seminars or teleseminars because details aren't exactly perfect and you want things to come off perfect and you're worried about what people are going to think about you. And I have a coaching friend who's also an author at Audrey Press, Donna Ashton, who was really so helpful in moving a project forward saying, people just don't care. Just get out there, start teaching, start talking, start producing your books, start producing your playlist, your courses, just get out there, be your authentic self. Um, so these are some ways in our professional lives and in our private lives that high functioning anxiety shows up. We have a constant mental to-do list. And for my own, it actually looks like a teleprompter on a TV show. It just kind of keeps scrolling up and I can get to the end of the day and say, I didn't get everything on my to-do list done and feel like a failure. However, of the 200 things on my list, that's an exaggeration. Um, I got 15 things done, which in itself is a lot. And I find as I'm aging, I have to put less things on the teleprompter to-do list. And I really do need to create a, a finite finish line for my day. So where high anxiety or high functioning anxiety comes from is it's a behavior pattern that stems from low self-esteem. And it doesn't have to be the most severe case of low self-esteem even the slightest bit of low self-esteem will trigger this behavior pattern. So people who have high functioning anxiety feel that if they stop doing, thinking, running through their list, that they may not matter anymore, that the world as they know it might fall apart, things won't get done. And that will be really a big ordeal because they'll be letting people down. 
And somehow life as you know it, I know it, or we know it will stop functioning the way we need it to function. There will be chaos thrown into the mix. And that in some form is just not acceptable. And I speak from my own version of this type of anxiety. So the boundary line between just usual planning and then into high functioning anxiety is this. The minute we're feeling overwhelmed, the minute we're overthinking, uh, the minute we feel like there's tons of pressure on us, um, and then we have lots of self-doubt, are people going to be happy with this? Um, what if somebody's unhappy? What if this doesn't come off the way I want it to? So that's what's going on on the inside. Overwhelm, overthinking, lots of pressure and self-doubt. And then the way that manifests out into our everyday life is that we appear hyper detail-oriented. We have everything planned down to the next nanosecond. Every detail in that nanosecond is thought of including what could go wrong, right? And the B plans and the hyper detailed B plans, C plan, D plans that go with that. Um, we appear that very successful, we've got it all together and we're very calm on the outside. So this line, the minute you feel overwhelmed, overthinking, pressure and self-doubt, you are now in the high functioning anxiety range. And this can leave one feeling exceptionally exhausted because we just keep trying to push through, through the experiences that we're having on the inside. You think, let me just get through this family potluck. Let me just get through chairing um, the school PTA board. And then I can exhale, I can breathe, I can relax. But is what ends up happening is more things get put on the list and one more thing and one more thing. And at 11, 12, one in the morning, you're collapsing, probably running through tomorrow's checklist already. So this is not a fault. We just want to have an awareness of this and really being kind to ourselves that we are just doing the best we can to show up for our work, our family, our friends, and those organizations that we give our time to, right? So before we go on, we are going to flip this now on how do we embrace unfolding? How do we stop the teleprompter of planning and to-do list? Before we get to our transformation into just letting things unfold, I want to take a break and when we come back, I have a beautiful poem for us to get started in that transformation. I have created this beautiful mindfulness meditation for beginners ebook. It's a simple guide and practice journal that will help keep you motivated and enhance your personal daily practice. Visit www.mongata.org to download your free guide today. Enjoy. So as we move into the transformation por portion of this podcast, as we embrace unfolding, I'd like to begin by a wonderful poem by Irish poet David White called, But to Remember When Waking, in that first hardly noticed moment in which you wake, 
coming back to this life from the other more secret, movable and frighteningly honest world where everything began, there is a small opening into the new day, which closes the moment you begin your plans. What you can plan is too small for you to live. What you can live wholeheartedly will make plans enough for the vitality hidden in your sleep. To be human is to become visible while carrying what is hidden as a gift to others. To remember the world in this world is to live in your true inheritance. You are not a troubled guest on this earth. You are not an accident amidst other accidents. You were invited from another and greater night than the one from which you have just emerged. Now, looking through the slanting light of the morning window toward the mountain presence of everything that can be what urgency calls you to your one love. What shape waits in the seed of you to grow and spread its branches against a future sky? Is it waiting in the fertile sea, in the trees beyond the house, in the life you can imagine for yourself, in the open and lovely white page on the writing desk? Again, this is a beautiful poem by David White called But to Remember When Waking. And I... Uh, we'll put a link to David White's site if you want to explore him more. So what can we do with ourselves who love to plan every moment of every day while having, having a little bit of anxiety? So here are a few tips to help with our high-functioning anxiety. So number one, don't do more today then you can recover from tomorrow. We often put too much in a day and push ourselves way too hard. We think, let me get everything on my to-do list done and then I can relax. The problem is there are too many things on the to-do list and the end never comes. We also start thinking about tomorrow's to-do list and start working on that. We don't want things weighing on us tomorrow and completely miss our body's cues that it's ready and time for us to rest. It's time to reflect and tune in. So setting boundaries around email, social media, or text before the end of the day, how many times have you said, let me check my email one more time. Um, and then there's a load of emails and you end up working on those and then the night passes you by um, and you go to bed late and there's really not this buffer zone of unwinding and relaxing. So ask yourself the question, will I be able to rest and recover um, if I look at my email, my texts, my social medias, answer this call? Or is it time to just let it rest until tomorrow? Number two, let go of the pressure and the outcome, just letting things unfold as they want to. We can add so much pressure on ourselves along with outside expectations and pressures. So ask yourself, what pressure 
am I putting on myself? Is it a logical amount or is my mind ruminating? Is my stomach churning? Can my, can I not move past this obsessive thought in my mind? Putting pressure on ourselves is a way to mentally control outside circumstances to help us create the sense of safety. Uh, also to prevent failure and, um, negative consequences but do those things really need to be prepared for? So are these life and death situations? Tell yourself, I'm going to show up and just do my personal best. This can relieve the pressure valve and just let go and allow whatever happens to happen. And a real key point for me in my unfolding into just letting things be is to actually delegate and call in helping support saying, can you do this? Can you bring this to the potluck? Can you, um, bring the napkins and the, the cups and the plates, or I always, whatever I'm doing, create a team and I delegate. So even if I need to see how everything is going, there's other people doing specific tasks and that has really relieved my own personal pressure valve. Um, like we mentioned last week, say no more often and even practice saying no. And when you set a boundary by saying no, you are actually saying yes to yourself. You are deserving of that. You are worthy of that. Saying no means saying yes to yourself and giving you that space to bring in what you're wanting to bring in. Sometimes that's just simply rest and non-doing. Number four, increasing your emotional awareness. So emotions actually drive our behaviors. We don't know how to process our emotions. This culture, our culture, our beloved culture does not teach us how to process our emotions. And in fact, emotions are even looked at as a sign of weakness. How many times were you told as a kid, you know, just suck it up. Don't cry. You're being overdramatic. And Maybe you've even been told that as an adult, you're too much, you have too much emotion, but actually our emotions along with the symptoms like aches, pains, and such in our bodies is how our bodies and our emotions communicate with us. It's how our nervous system communicates with us. So listening to these cues, listening to our emotions can be a great way for us to help our high functioning anxiety. And I like to go straight to my journal and let it all out. So in your journal, um, if you want to increase your emotional awareness, I can tell you just having the awareness of your emotions is like a huge leap into healing. But in your journal, go ahead and write about asking yourself the question, how am I feeling right now? And write down everything you're feeling about everything. And another question that I find really useful is what do I need right now? Am I needing rest? Am I needing somebody to listen to me? Am I needing to listen to some music, take a walk, really checking in with yourself and, and starting in your journal? What do I need right now? Okay. Number five, do the thing that you're most afraid of. Do the thing that scares you most. 
So high functioning anxiety is actually moved forward and caused by fear. All of those what if moments can just totally perplex those of us who suffer from high functioning anxiety. That which we fear, we actually avoid. And so when we avoid things, we make the fear bigger in our minds, in our bodies, in our emotions. Once we can get into the process of doing the thing that we're actually afraid of, I've found for myself personally, that most of the time when we get to the other side, we can say, oh, that wasn't so bad at all. Like, why didn't I do this sooner? And I don't know if any of you have had that experience, but it was just like all the time and anxiety and worry that I wasted avoiding the thing that I feared. So I say, jump in the deep end, both feet, go uh, with what you fear and what scares you and really see how resilient and strong you are. And if things go awry in what scares you most, just know, take it and embrace it as that I'm learning this lesson and I'm thankful for this lesson. And what did you learn from this lesson? Because again, that unpacks fear and it discharges it so that it doesn't have control over you. Make time for what you love. This is so important and I'm really recently trying to put in, make time for something I love every single day to leave my ever rolling, scrolling to-do list and find something that I love to do each day. This is actually a big part of our self-care and taking care of yourself. If you're constantly worrying about every little detail of your life from schedules to lunches to why people are doing what they're doing, what people are thinking about you, what they might think about you. It actually empties you out. You run dry. You are going to be fueled on empty. So we need to do things that fill up our cup, do things that really light you up. And they can be simple things like making soup or taking a walk or um, when you walk by a piano, playing it or reading a book, it doesn't have to be, um, big things. It can be very small things for very small amounts of time, but you matter and you're important. Do what you love. It's so important for your own well-being. Number seven, take your physical health seriously. Move your body. Now, I am not inviting you to go become a weightlifter unless you really like doing that. But just a little movement in our bodies, our bodies are meant to move, will actually silence your mind and get it off the to-do list, the rumination and what if and what if and this and that. So our bodies, our nervous systems and our minds are all connected. We might feel them separate, but they're actually all connected. So when you move your body, you are releasing that pent up energy and you're calming your mind. Now I like to do a variety of movement and I am by nowhere near, you would not put the term athlete on me and I have to really make myself move. It's not a natural thing for me, but I love to go for walks. Um, walking a labyrinth is amazing because you can only walk one foot at a time. And so you have to focus on that and it turns the mind off. Um, I also love to do Qigong, 
beautiful, slow movements that get your energy and your body flowing so easily. Um, tai Chi would be another one. Yoga personally for me is a little bit daunting, but recently I found some really lovely, easy yoga movements, um, that I can do. I don't feel stressed or overtaxed by them. So it's not so much as let's work out big movements and endurance and sweat and all of that gentle, nice, easy movement. Your body loves to move and it's really great for your mental, emotional, and physical health. Number eight, get enough sleep. So sleep is really important to our bodies. Our minds process our day uh, when we go into our deep sleep and it runs it through our nervous systems and literally cycles it through and unwinds it. So getting enough sleep is so important to managing high functioning anxiety. If you notice on a night that you didn't get enough sleep, how did you feel the next day? Were you more anxious? Did things not go as well the following day? And oftentimes anxiety of any type will lead to sleeplessness. And I am not a medical doctor. This is a personal recommendation. Please check with your physician um, and also see if these side effects, if there's any side effects for you. Um, I take something called tart cherry and it is like worked miracles. It's natural, it's dried, it's in a, you know, a capsule form. So look into that. Other people take melatonin. It doesn't work for me, um, but it does work for many people. So there are aids that, uh, benefit you without hurting your body. Again, please check into that for yourself. Sleep is so important. Number nine, realizing that no one is expecting you to do it all and having the realization that you cannot do it all. So maybe people at work, your family, your neighbors, uh, your place of religious worship, they expect these things from you that you can do it all. Oh, just ask so-and-so they'll do it. And pretty soon you're all stacked up with all of these activities. This is actually a type of boundary to say, I cannot be everything to everyone and I cannot do it all. So choose those things that you can do or you want to do. So oftentimes we're just filled up with things we should have said no to. Um, so really check in, do I want to do that? And if not, you don't have to, nor is it your responsibility to find somebody to do it. So realizing that you can't be everything to everybody really decreases the anxiety level. It was a hard one for me to learn, but when I did, loads of stress came off. And number 10, I think one of the most important things um, is identifying your support system. Having one or two, a couple of people that you can talk to when you need support, that you can lean on to help process the emotions you're feeling and who can, somebody that can help suggest ways in which you can let go of the ever scrolling to-do list and what can come off the list and be put aside, uh, where you need to say no to activities. I know my support systems are so wonderful. Um, you know, they're near and dear friends and family that listen 
when I'm questioning something or feeling overwhelmed, they have enough distance to suggest things um, that I can do to feel less stress and less overwhelm. And I think it's really important to always realize that as we're unfolding, as we're healing all of these different habits or looking at, do I need to do things differently? That a symptom of that is thinking that we can do it all alone. When real actual healing is done in community, and so identifying your support system is, is bringing that community around you and healing in that community. So just looking for those people that support you and can help you through your anxiety. So this is my top 10 list and it's not linear. You, you can do it out of order, but these are just some ideas that have really helped me. And I hope they bring some relief for you as well. I just want to say that as we are coming towards the end of our podcast this week, if you have enjoyed this episode, if you wouldn't mind going and leaving a comment and rating us so others can find the podcast as well, please feel free to share it with your family and friends. And as always, go forth and be marvelous. And until next time, be well.